Hi everybody, my name is Steve Bartlett and welcome to Fight Back. I don't know why the hell you're here watching the show because the hockey game's on right now. My beloved Tampa Bay Lightning are in the playoffs playing the New Jersey Devils in game four and I'm here with you instead of watching the game. I was tempted to blow off tonight's show but I care a lot about what's going on in our country and I promised you that I will keep talking about guns until the subject is exhausted. So even though I'd rather be home watching the Bolts and I think you should be doing the same thing and watch this on delayed tape instead of watching it live. Um, I can't watch it on delay. I can't record this on delayed tape because I am live, but if I were you, I would turn it off and put on the hockey game. So if anyone is watching and has the game on at the same time, if the Lightning score, please give us a call and let me know the updates on the game, okay? Hopefully by the time I get the show over, we'll be up three to nothing. Anyway, every 4th of July, um, we always hear people talk about the Founding Fathers and uh, with great reverence and respect. But there's a term that no one ever talks about, and that is the founding mothers. And the reason for that is our society back there did not allow for women to become great. Women were basically chattel without any rights. They couldn't vote. They couldn't even be on juries. They couldn't own or inherit property. They were basically the property of their husbands. So the people who created our country and our constitution were all men. Women were not involved in creating this country. And that's a shame because maybe if women were involved, they might not have screwed things up the way men have. Um, that doesn't mean women weren't great. It just means that they were not given the same opportunities that men had. They had to stay in the background. And one of the greatest women of that generation back in the 18th century was a woman by the name of Abigail Adams. Abigail Adams was an intellectual, extremely literate person of her time. She was married, of course, to John Adams, the person who was the father of the uh, Declaration of Independence. Okay? Even though Jefferson is the one who wrote the document, the person who argued for it, the one who was the idea man behind independence, was John Adams. And while he was stuck in the Continental Congress, she stayed back in Massachusetts and ran the farm. And they had a great love story, and they exchanged letters. And these letters, historians have shown to be some of the most articulate, well-written, very literate um, writings on behalf of the future First Lady of the United States, Abigail Adams. Uh, she was an intellectual, and she and her husband used to exchange these letters and talk about things such as politics and political philosophy. What kind of country should we be when we break away from England? Uh, what kind of government would be the best way for us to go forward? How should a democracy be based? Separation of powers and things like that. A very intelligent woman. Um, plus, they had a partnership. He didn't refer to her as his beloved or dear or darling. Instead, he always called her my friend because he realized that she was more of an equal partner rather than the uh, downtrodden female at a lower status like most people were treated like in those days if you were a female. Okay? She was also an outspoken intellectual back then who fought for rights. She was for the equal rights for women hundreds of years before her time and she was also a person who was against slavery. And uniquely, she was a woman who not only was the best friend and first lady of the President of the United States, John Adams, but their son, John Quincy Adams, also became president. So she was the mother of a president as well. And uh, John Quincy Adams is probably the most intelligent man who's ever sat in uh, the White House as President of the United States, total intellectual. So what kind of woman can be both the wife of a president and the mother of a president? Very rare, it never happened ever before. And it happened only once afterwards, and that happened rather recently, in the 19, 
late 1980s, uh, the next person I'm going to talk about passed away today. Her name is Barbara Bush. Uh, Barbara Bush was married for um, close to 75 years, three quarters of a century, to George Herbert Walker Bush, President of the United States, former Vice President of the United States. And she later became the mother of a President of the United States, George W. Bush. So what kind of remarkable person can be both the wife and first lady and then also the proud mother of a President of the United States? And like Abigail Adams, Barbara Bush was also an independent thinker. Even though her husband was a conservative Republican, well, now he would be considered to be a moderate Republican or almost a liberal Republican, um, but he was still conservative overall. She was pro-choice when it came to abortion rights and was different from her both her famous husband and her famous son on those issues. She also was for ratification of the Equal Rights Amendment that failed that all kinds of women especially liberal women like Jane Fonda and whatnot, were totally for in the 1970s. So she was an outspoken person for the ERA and for women's rights to reproduce, despite her famous husband's viewpoints to the contrary. Like Abigail Adams, she was also a huge advocate who dedicated her life to um, advocate reading was for people becoming literate, because she understood that people can only learn and have the power to make changes if they can read. Unfortunately, the current President of the United States doesn't like to read, which is kind of a slap in the face to Barbara Bush's legacy. But like Abigail Adams, she was very well-read, very well-spoken. Um, my favorite story about um, Barbara Bush shows her droll sense of humor. She met Sarah Palin once and said that she liked her, that she was a beautiful woman, was very nice, and that Sarah Palin told her that she, um, you know, loved living in Alaska. So Barbara Bush said, you know, she did love living in Alaska, and I think she should stay there. So that was pretty droll, and I liked her sense of humor when it came to that. So God bless her, and I hope that both her, her husband and her children are able to be, I just hope that they're able to um, think of her memories, and that can cause them some sort of peace and tranquility during this horrible time for them. Well, when we come back from a break, we're going to be talking about guns and the NRA and how they want to keep people stupid by feeding them propaganda. So we'll see you right after a word from our sponsor.
Hi, I'm Jerry from Hot Locks Hair Salon. We are conveniently located at 13414 US Highway 19 in Hudson. I've been a local hairstylist in our community for the last 34 years, seven of which I was an educator. Our passion is the artistry of hair, and Hollox is here to help you achieve your perfect image. You can call us at 727-514-9978. Hi, I'm back. Uh, welcome back to Fight Back with Steve Bartlett. And what I'm going to talk to you about is a recap from last week. If you recall, if you watched the show, I talked about the NRA and how, in my opinion, the NRA is basically a corporate whore for the gun manufacturing people. Now, there's a difference between those who are the leaders of the NRA and the people who are just regular members of the NRA. I'm not bashing the people who are regular members of the NRA. I'm talking about their leadership, who basically all they care about is making money for the corporate uh, makers of weapons and ammunition. And we talked about that last week. Now, how do they go about doing this? Because uh, most of their followers are regular people who just want to have guns to protect themselves and their families and to shoot at gun ranges and whatnot. And in my opinion, what they do is um, they brainwash their membership. They brainwash their membership in order to keep them compliant with what they um, preach. And like I said, the policies that the NRA supporting are policies that support death, because death means profits. As I showed last week, the more money that the NRA makes is directly proportional to the amount of people who die. That when deaths go up, profits go up, more money goes into the pockets of the gun manufacturers and the NRA leadership. But how do they get their membership to follow along with this? Well, it's two parts, pretty simple. Keep the people dumb, keep them uneducated, don't give them the facts. And the second is, instead of giving them facts to make their decisions on, feed them propaganda, repeat it over and over again, and reinforce that propaganda by peer pressure. Okay? Now, how does propaganda work? You know, what is the method of propaganda? Well, there's a lot of social scientists and psychologists who, who have talked about uh, ever since Hitler became the king of propaganda in the 1930s. They talked about how propaganda works. And a lot of it goes to an individual psyche about how people actually are. A person who explains it really well is Jerry Seinfeld. Jerry Seinfeld, in one of his classic routines from the 90s, talks about sports fans and how people love their sports teams with this complete passion. And it has nothing to do with the character of the athlete who is playing on the team or anything like that. What they care about is the fact that once they become a fan, they become a super fan and their team can do no wrong. If you are a fan of the team and a player plays for your team, you love them regardless of how horrible that person can be as a human being. Look at Barry Bonds. Barry Bonds was thought of as a total jerk wherever he played, but not in San Francisco. San Francisco, they loved him. You know, Michael Vick for uh, all the dogfighting that, that happened and his going to prison and, and, and getting sentenced for cruelty to animals. They didn't hate him in Atlanta because he was a member of their team. And what Jerry Seinfeld talked about in his famous routine is you can have a player that you completely hate who's on another team, he gets traded to your team, and now you absolutely love him. Okay? And then he goes to another team and then you hate him again. You know, like I said, the Tampa Bay Lightning, I'm a big fan of the Lightning, and um, there's a guy who got in a fight and, uh, two days ago named Boyle, who was a big fan favorite in Tampa Bay. However, he got in a fight, and now 
everyone probably at tonight's game is going to hate him because he got in a big fight with our rookie Sergachev. So it just shows that when you become a fan of something, you're very easily manipulated into this groupthink mentality. And if you ever go to a hockey game, there's this total feeling of euphoria whenever you're team scores. Everybody roots for the same team. There's collective disappointment when your team is losing and a complete sense of euphoria when your team scores and goes ahead. You know, people start high-fiving, especially in the playoffs when the, the level of emotion is at its highest. And it's very easy to manipulate people when it becomes with sports. Look at the WWE and wrestling. You know, you have people who are hated because they're bad guys. Then you have other people who are loved because they're good guys. However, ever since, you know, the 1990s, you can't really tell the difference between the good guy or the bad guy. They act the same. You know, you can, you know, before you had to act like a jerk to be a bad guy and you acted really nice to be a good guy. But then in the 90s, whether you were a villain or not had nothing to do with the way you actually acted, but the way you were promoted. If the WWE wanted you to be a heel, then people would boo you. If they wanted you to be a hero, then people would cheer you regardless of what you did or what you said or what you stood for. And people all would jump on the same bandwagon. So if you went to a wrestling match in the 1990s, everybody rooted for the same people, everybody booed against the same people because it was this group think mentality. Okay? People are susceptible to peer pressure. Nobody believes that we are, but we are social creatures. It's part of our nature to want to fit into society. And people have shown through studies, I mean, studies have shown that teenagers are, that's how they become part of society, by being weak and being able to um, give in to peer pressure, because that's how they leave their home. People who are their friends are more important to them than their family, so they leave the home. And this peer pressure idea, everyone fights against, and everyone says that they do not have a normal tendency to conform, but that's not really true. People are, in fact, conformists. People don't believe they're conformists, but they really are conformists for the most part. People want to be like everybody else. You know, and even though I pretend that I'm a nonconformist and I try to be someone who fights against, you know, beat, uh, someone who tries to beat, walk the beat to a different drummer, you know, I admit that even I can be susceptible to group thought and group mentality. A couple years ago, we took a trip to Canada. A week later, when we came back, I was developing a Canadian accent. I was saying A almost every other word. That, plus watching hockey, kind of contributes to it. But, you know, when you're around a group of people, you try to think like them. So if the NRA leadership tells you to believe a certain way, and all your friends are gun lovers, and all your friends watch Fox News, and all your friends love Trump, and all your friends listen to Rush Limbaugh, you're going to want to fit in and be like them as well. People like people who are like themselves for the most part and dislike people who they don't like for the most part. That's why when you're in high school, you're like, you like your high school more than another team likes their high school. That's why when there's a bunch of guys together, it's the guys versus the girls. That's how people are. People have a group think mentality. Okay, That's what people are like, whether people want to admit it or not. And unfortunately, the NRA takes advantage of this by having their membership believe what they're told to believe. And they do this in two ways. First, they keep them uh, away from the facts. They want to suppress the truth. And instead of letting them know the truth, they tell them what to believe. So when we come back, I'm going to actually talk to you about the methodology, about how they actually suppress the truth and how they go about denying people from knowing exactly what the truth is about gun violence. So I'll see you right after this.
Hi, I'm Jerry from Hot Locks Hair Salon. We are conveniently located at 13414 US Highway 19 in Hudson. I've been a local hairstylist in our community for the last 34 years, seven of which I was an educator. Our passion is the artistry of hair, and Hollox is here to help you achieve your perfect image. You can call us at 727-514-9978. Hi, I'm back. Welcome back to the show. Back in, 1990, back in the 1990s, uh, the CDC, which is the Center for Disease Control and Prevention, they did research, and that research concluded, government research concluded that keeping firearms in the home sharply increased the risk of homicide. And the NRA freaked out about that. So instead of trying to come up with reasonable laws, they wanted to suppress the truth. So in 1996, the GOP-controlled Congress stripped the CDC of all funding of any type of research into gun violence. They were gone. No money was being used for any research into that area anymore. They also passed something called the Dickey Amendment, which specifically forbid the spending of any government funds for anything that could be possibly perceived as advocating or promoting gun control. So if the government was no longer to research or crunch numbers to figure out the cause of gun violence, how can you actually come up with legislation which is going to try to attempt to fix the problems with gun violence? And for 20 years, we've been in the dark. People talk out of their ass like they know something. They sit there and say things like, oh, guns are ways that we protect ourselves and that gun violence is reduced the more guns we have or that this is the cause of violence and this isn't the cause of violence and, or that gun control doesn't work. But most of these people are talking out of their ass because they're not using the facts. Why aren't they using the facts? Because the NRA has suppressed the facts. The data has stopped. For 20 years, we've been all living in the dark. In 2012, President Obama issued an executive order instructing the CDC to conduct or sponsor research into the causes of gun violence and to report back as to ways that gun violence could be prevented. You know what happened as a result of that? Answer, nothing. Why? Because Congress refused to give any funding. Refused to give any funding because there was no specific appropriation to cover the research. So Obama's attempt to try to get us out of the dark ages when it came to gun violence failed again. 20 years, so many important questions haven't been answered because of this suppression of the truth, most of it paid for by the NRA, who, like I said over and over again, are in the business of promoting the death of people because that's what makes profits go up and puts money in their pockets. Okay. However, there's actually some good news. This year, the uh, Department of uh, Health and Human Services director, appointed by Trump, a guy named Secretary Alex Azar, testified at a subcommittee with Congress that his interpretation of the, of the Dickey Amendment does not prevent gun research. The Dickey Amendment is still in place. There can be no more advocacy of, for gun control. That's still in place. But nothing stops him from actually crunching the numbers and coming up with data. So that's a big question mark as to what are they allowed to do? If they can crunch the numbers and they can come up and they but and they can um, come up with data, but they're not allowed to interpret it because that would be considered to be advocating for gun control, then who knows what they're going to do in the future? But at least it's a step in the right direction. But there's so many questions that need to be answered that 
research can be done and needs to be done if we're going to stop this endless sense, senseless violence. I can come in and give my opinions about what kind of things can be done to reduce mass shootings and whatnot, but until we have the data, we can't do it from a scientific or logical uh, starting point. Questions such as, does keeping a gun in the home increase or decrease the murder rate? Does carrying a concealed weapon increase or decrease the murder rate? What percentage of gun deaths are caused by those who have illegal guns versus gun deaths caused by those who have guns in their possession legally? What percentage of gun deaths are domestic violence related? What percentage of gun deaths occur during the commission of a crime? Who are the real victims of a crime? Is it criminals killing criminals? Or are the victims of um, gun crimes just regular innocent people being perpetrated by criminals? Do the criminals know each other? Is it something where it's a revenge killing when somebody knows the other side? Or is it somebody being killed by strangers? What types of guns are responsible for most killings? Are there certain types of guns besides assault weapons that are more dangerous than other types of guns? Which percentage of shooters have mental health problems? These are questions that need to be studied, and for over 20 years, it's been silenced because of the money caused by the NRA. They shoot down all ideas. The NRA shoots down these things that are complex and try to come up with simple propaganda-type solutions instead. Okay? And the problem is that there's many different causes of gun violence. It's not just one problem, it's complex. So a complex problem has complex solutions. There's not one magic bullet that will fix gun violence. There's a whole bunch of solutions. And unfortunately, different solutions will solve parts of the gun problem, but not all of them. And what the NRA likes to do in their propaganda machine is shut down all ideas if it doesn't fix everything. So in other words, if they want to make a, uh, a law saying to get rid of um, assault weapons, then they say, well, what about Chicago? Gun control doesn't work in Chicago. Well, Chicago is a different type of problem. The problem in Chicago is not a problem with assault weapons. It's a problem with gang violence. Okay? It's not a problem with mental health, which is part of the problems with assault weapons violence. There's all kinds of different solutions. Okay? There's different types of problems in gun violence. There's the problems of suicide. There's the problem of accidents. There's the problem of gang on gang violence. There's the problems of gun deaths caused by the commission of a crime. There's a problem with domestic violence. There's a problem with heat of passion killing not related to guns of violence, like a person who gets road rage. There's a problem with mentally ill people, having mass shootings, and of course there's terrorism. All of these have different challenges and all of them have different solutions. And before we can come up and know for certain what the proper solution is, what we need to do is we need to be able to ask the correct questions. Because only by learning, only by being literate, only by studying, and only by reading can we actually learn answers. Abigail Adams was correct. She was an intellectual of her day. Barbara Bush was correct. We need to encourage reading. We need to encourage intellectualism. We have to get rid of concepts like propaganda. We can't take the easy way. We shouldn't just believe things because our friends posted something on Facebook and we clicked like. That's not the truth. That's propaganda. That's what the NRA wants us to believe. We need to do research on the data and not be afraid of it regardless of where the data leads. Okay? We need to actually come up with solutions based upon the facts, not based upon some sort of uh, being a member of a team and we agree with whatever our team tells us to believe. Whether we're aware of it or not, we are all victims of the propaganda machine, probably both on the left and the right, even though it seems like the right does have a monopoly on that idea. So, I'm going to remind you to 
try to become educated and stop sticking your head in the sand. Stop being on the side of injustice and stop being and start being on the side of right. Understand the difference between right or wrong and learn how to raise your head up and learn how to fight back. Thank you so much for watching the show. Get back to the hockey game. I'm sure to score 0-0 or else someone would have called me. See you next week. Take it easy. Bye. I'm Jerry from Hot Locks Hair Salon. We are conveniently located at 13414 US Highway 19 in Hudson. I've been a local hairstylist in our community for the last 34 years, seven of which I was an educator. Our passion is the artistry of hair, and Hot Locks is here to help you achieve your perfect image. You can call us at 727-514-9978.